let me mention that we have go deep sheets. We will not have go deep this week or next week because it'll fall on the holidays. But um, you can pick up a go deep sheet and that'll just help you think through the passage better and apply it to life. They're out there by the CDs as you're going out the door. A few months ago, I jumped out of an airplane. So after three weeks of waiting, our group, uh, Jeanette Dembski, Tracy Disbro, Brian Ellis and I, after three weeks of waiting, we had to wait another four hours for all the people who, like us, had waited for three weeks, but had, unlike us, probably not attended church that morning, so they got to the airfield before we did. So I really appreciate all of you who came to wait and to watch with us. I don't so much appreciate you who are taking odds on whether I was going to check in out or not. <laughs> but I love you. So finally, after waiting and waiting, Jeanette and, Jeanette and I are in the plane, and we're ascending 14,000 feet in seven minutes, and the door opens. One skydiver after another, including Jeanette, hurl out and into the blue. And then it was my turn. I stuck my feet outside the plane, my heels resting on this four-inch ledge. The guy told me, put your feet on that ledge, and I said, have you seen my feet? <laughs> Seriously? And then I heard him in my ear say, one, two, three, and then we were out. And I looked around and I could see for miles, from 14,000 feet, you can see a long ways. My instructor tapped me on my shoulder, which meant I could let go of the halter and raise my arms up like this. And below me, I could see farms and fields. There were lakes, lots of lakes, which surprised me because I couldn't see them from the road. Uh, some had dozens of boats on them. A few were leaving white lines like riding on the surface of the water. I could see from where I was that one of the lakes was too shallow for boating and there were no houses around it. And on the road were these matchbox-like cars that hardly seemed to be moving at all. Uh, at one point, my instructor signaled to me. I didn't know what he was signaling, so I looked up and there was a photographer 15 feet away from me as if perched in mid-air taking video and then he zoomed away. And I went back to surveying the landscape, trying to find the airfield. I was a little interested in whether it was where we were. <laughs> and then the photographer flew up again and signaled to me to smile. I can guarantee you nobody's smiling at that moment. They're all just going, wow, you know. So he signals me to smile, and I smile. There's so much to take in that my mind really didn't register the passing of time. Whether it had been a few seconds or minutes, it was hard to tell. So as I was taking in the scenery, something suddenly happened, boom, and I felt like I was snapped back into the sky, shocked by the force of it, and I didn't really understand what was going on. In the midst of about a thousand uh, visual, audio, and tactile stimuli, a sort of thought emerged in that moment, what just happened? And I really didn't know. What happened, of course, was that my chute opened, which was a good thing. <laughs> it, it took me a, a moment to realize that. Uh, and, and during that split second, all I knew was something had changed, and I didn't know if it was a good change. Life was uh, just going on, and then bang. In our text today, St. Luke describes a, um, a similar moment. Life was going on as usual when seemingly out of nowhere something happened and the force of it was shocking. In that moment, I supposed a sort of thought emerged in the minds of the people that were involved. What just happened? 
Let's read our text. It's Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 8 through 18. So follow along. We'll put it on the screen. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, or Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord's told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The life of a shepherd didn't vary much. So it's up at dawn, graze the sheep, take them to find water, graze them again, lead them to a sheepfold for the night, sleep, get up, do it all over again. And for a shepherd, that wasn't simply a daily routine. It was a lifetime routine. They had been doing this ever since they were old enough to go out with their dads into the fields. And it wasn't just a lifetime routine. It was a generational routine. Shepherds had been doing this around the hills of Bethlehem from father to son for 14 generations, at least. On the night we're considering, the shepherds were doing what they always did. As the evening deepened, they gathered their flocks. The sheep that were always first were probably first that night. The sheep that were always last were probably last. They sheltered them inside a three-foot-high stone fence enclosure, as they'd done a thousand times before. They made a fire in a fire pit over which many a dinner had been prepared, probably the same dinner they ate every night. If someone would have recorded their conversation, it would have sounded like the same one they'd had countless nights before, like the ones their grandfathers and great-grandfathers had had in those fields stretching back into the dim past. And then the parachute opened and snapped them out of their reveries with a shock. If a few hours earlier you'd asked the shepherds if this night would be different from all the rest, they almost certainly would have said no. That's the way life is. Everything stays the same until it isn't. We're lulled by the rhythm of routine, whether pleasant or painful, into a state of mind where we don't anticipate anything new happening. That's the human condition. It's hard for us to believe that things will ever change. On that night, things changed. And not just for the shepherds, but for, for everyone. In spite of the way things seem, we don't live in a steady state universe. Things go along for a while, and sometimes it's a long while without change, and then suddenly they're different. Sometimes the difference seems good and hopeful, Sometimes it's scary and full of threat. What we need to learn is that the changes are not chaotic. They're not random. 
however much they may seem that way to us. There's a God who ordains change and makes it serve his purpose. In his second letter, the Apostle Peter mentions people who believe they live in a universe where things never really change. They clearly don't believe in a sovereign God who interrupts the routine with intention. Peter wrote, they say, these folks, they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Peter then points out, that the time frame within which these people live their lives is so small, they have trouble recognizing the interruptions for what they are. Creation itself, he says, was an interruption, a big bang of an interruption, if there ever was one. He mentions the flood as another major interruption. If we had a bigger frame of reference, like the angels, who lived not for decades, but for ages, We could see that these interruptions are not random. They're part of a pattern, the great pattern that has been unfolding for millennia, for ages. That pattern, St. Peter says, is leading to the end of the world and the cosmos we know and to the beginning of a new world and a new cosmos, a new heaven and a new earth, he says, where righteousness dwells. Things will change. Creation itself was part of that pattern, as was the flood, as was the call of an ordinary man living in the region of modern Iraq, whose name was Abram. It continues through other bold interruptions, the unexpected liberation of an enslaved people, the introduction of the law, the coming of a king, the going of a people into exile, the the pattern contains broad strokes and then fine points, flourishes and arabesques. If you discern the pattern, you'll realize that it's taking shape. You'll begin to feel that you know that shape, even though you can't yet place it. What happened on that night in Bethlehem was an interruption, an intrusion, really an invasion that had profound effects on the shape of the pattern. To the shepherd's question, what just happened? The answer comes, what God has been working on since the foundation of the world. What was so unexpected and shocking to the shepherds had long been planned by God, and the execution of that plan had been going on for millennia. The seemingly redundant pattern wasn't so redundant. It just exploded into new directions and new colors. The background for the pattern, which is set even before a word spoken, is also important. This is verse 8, Luke 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. Notice that it's dark when an angel appeared. And by the way, the angels appear twice in this text, and the Greek words used for appear, though the English translates it the same way, are two totally different words. And in this one, there's a suddenness about it. An angel set upon them. You could translate it. Their routine was upended, and they were snapped out of it into another reality. 
The fact that there's light shining on them in darkness puts us on notice that we are looking at the pattern. Isaiah had written, the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Or the prophecy concerning the coming of the child king. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. You may remember that recently we heard Jesus describe himself as the light of the world. And I mentioned at the time that that light is not stationary, but moving. Exactly like the light of God's glory that led Israel through the wilderness. In the birth of Jesus, the light of that glory rose again. The angel tells the shepherds not to be afraid because he's bringing them good news of great joy that will be for all the people. He tells them that in the town of David, there's another indication that we're looking at the pattern. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. There are three titles here of great importance. First, there is Savior. In the Roman world, that title was given to the emperor. In the Jewish world, Savior was a title of God himself. The angel gives it to a newborn baby. Second, there is Christ, which is also a title. We sometimes talk as if it's a name. But Christ is a title. The, the Greek word used to translate Messiah which in turn means anointed, the anointed one. The anointed one was a king, the coming king, promised by prophets and hoped for by the people. Third, there is Lord. Now, around the Mediterranean, everyone knew who the Lord was. He was Caesar. And the empire required people to confess Caesar Lord at least once a year and offer a sacrifice to him as a god. But Luke knows that Caesar's rival, Caesar's superior, has come and is lying in all of all places a manger. The Jews, they would not acknowledge Caesar as Lord. Only the great I am, Yahweh God Almighty, merited that title. And they would give it to no one else. The angel gives it to the baby. The shepherds, who had been mindlessly following their routine a few moments earlier, suddenly had been caught up into the pattern. The angel tells them they'll find a sign, a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, a manger, a feeding trough. It's interesting that the bread of God, the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, was first presented to that world in a feeding trough. It occurs to them as they look at the baby in the manger that they're seeing the pattern, the eternal pattern, and that they're now living inside it. It's a wonder and a joy to them. They're part of the beautiful thing that God is doing. Notice how that affected them. Luke says in verse 9, they were terrified. And 
it, in Greek, what you have is they feared a great fear. So if you want to make something emphatic in Greek, you repeat it. So they feared a great fear. But the angel announces joy, not fear. I bring you good news of great joy. Great joy to replace great fear. By verse 20, the shepherds are glorifying and praising God. As great as their fear was, their joy was greater. That's what happens when people's lives get taken up into the pattern. And they know that they've become a part of it. So you're part of the pattern. You just may not know it. Mary, who I think was better than most at discerning the outlines of the pattern, knew that she and her son were part of it. She, this is verse 20, treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She understood that the pattern didn't suddenly terminate with the birth of her child. It continued, and she continued in it. When 33 years later, Mary stood, or perhaps lay prostrate on a dusty, derelict hill outside Jerusalem, looking up at her beloved son affixed to a cross by iron spikes, she felt the sharp, sword-like strokes of the pattern. It's good and right to celebrate Christmas. Shepherds watching, angels chanting, a mother swaddling, wise men seeking. But let's celebrate it as part of the pattern. See, there are lines, some bold and beautiful, some dark and harsh, that proceed and flow into Christmas. Creation, the flood, the call of Abraham, the birth of Isaac, the coming of King David, the going of the people into exile. And there are other lines that flow out of Christmas. The golden shades of the ascent of the king, the pouring out of the spirit, the birth of the church, the dark chaos of the time of tribulation, and then the illuminating rays of judgment. What happened on that night in Bethlehem only makes sense in the context of what had happened earlier, what's happening now, and what will happen in the days to come. The pattern is still emerging, growing, taking shape. Now, I mentioned in St. Peter's second letter, chapter 3, he speaks of, of the, the shock that people will experience in the day of judgment. He, it, the ultimate, what just happened moment. He writes, this is verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It'll surprise people. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire in the earth, and everything in it will be laid bare. It will snap people out of their routine, you know, like a car accident. Bang! What just happened? They will be overwhelmed by a thousand visual, audio, and tactile stimuli, and the question will present itself, what just happened? This will be one of the last strokes of the pattern during this age. Though the pattern exists before all ages, now and forevermore. And with this stroke that Peter speaks of, we will see the shape completed, the image formed, and will recognize it. For we have seen this image without seeing. We've seen it all our lives. We've seen it in the splendor of the stars We've seen it in a parent's face as they bend over a sleeping child. 
We've seen it in the strength of a warrior, the tenderness of a mother, the grandeur of a king. We've seen it again and again in the sacrificial love of the church. And seeing the pattern, our minds will suddenly soar, freed from the the imposed bondage of our sin, and our hearts will swell and our tears will flow for always and everywhere. The image formed by this pattern has been the image engraved on our hearts and our minds. It is the image that lies behind everything and is its source. It is the image that lies before everything and is its goal. We will see and adore. Then, not the image only, but the baby swathed in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. The man swathed in stripes of blood and nailed to a cross. The king, the conqueror of death, swathed in glory and seated on his throne. See, it is the image of the beloved, the joy of the whole earth, the desire of nations. We will see, our own eyes will behold him. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in that what just happened moment, a moment that may last a million years, it will dawn on us, sinners saved by grace, to our absolute amazement and everlasting joy, that we bear the image. And there will be glory before all ages, now and forevermore. This is Christmas. This is why we celebrate. Praise be to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God above, you have caught us up into something so big and glorious. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, mind has not conceived what you've prepared for those who love you. That we should bear the image. That the pattern should be formed again in us. All glory to you, O God, for this grace. Thank you for giving us your Son. We pray this in his holy name. Amen.